Welcome everyone to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name's Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So the past few episodes, I've been responding to a podcast done by the folks at the White Horse Inn regarding uh, Christians and scripture and culture and how to apply scripture to culture. Now, I think a lot of this discussion that's been going around about the topics of Christian nationalism and theonomy and government has a lot of confusion in it. There's, there's been a lot of confusion there. And a lot of it is, is due to, I think, some uh, unclear definitions and miscommunication. But what I've been trying to do this season of Governed by God is to look at some historical writings, whether that is from other Christians or historical documents, you know, such as the Constitution of the United States or other documents, to kind of trace back the history of this thought and this conversation about the role of Christians and the government and what the government should be. So what I want to do today is go back to the time of the Reformation. And we could go back earlier than that, but um, and I, I think I will do that. I'm working on uh, reading through some uh, works from Augustine and a few other things. But what I want to do today is look at a man named Pierre Verey. Although he has a French name, he is a Swiss reformer in the 1500s, around the time of, of Calvin there. So kind of what they would say is second generation reformers, if the first generation was someone like Luther or Zwingli. The second generation would have been folks like Calvin or Verey. So Verey, he wrote multiple letters and commentaries on the Bible, and uh, his discussions on the government have been collated into a book called The Christian and the Magistrate. So in this book, he poses several questions and then goes on to answer them. And it's a, it's a fairly short book, but again, it's not his entirety of his writings or his letters. Uh, it is a select portion of them. Uh, it's about 130 pages long. Again, it's called The Christian and the Magistrate by Pierre Verey. Now, what I want to do is just go through some of the key points that, that he makes. So he kind of begins with looking at the question, how should humans be governed? What is the way in which people should be ruled and governed? And he begins answering that question by arguing that the law of God, quote, must be taken as the standard of all other laws by which men must be ruled and governed, end quote. All right, so that's where that's his starting point. His starting point is, well, God has given us a law, and that law is applicable to mankind. Now, we could get into discussion as to how you would apply God's law. Uh, how would you apply the Ten Commandments or the case laws of the Old Testament? But at least that's a starting point. God has given law to mankind. Verey then goes on to look at different forms of government, such as monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. Basically, the three big ones. Rule by one, rule by some, and rule by many. Okay? Now, he then says that it doesn't really matter which form is in charge or which form a people were to adopt, because either one of them can be affected by sin. And he says that 
Essentially, if someone has a lack of self-control, they're not going to be a good ruler. He argues that when a man gives the reign to his emotions and affections and takes them as his counselors and allows them to reign instead of being subject to the understanding, then he becomes a bad ruler or a poor king. So what's interesting about what Vare is doing is he's going back to the root, which is self-control. Whatever government you're talking about, whether it's family or church or the civil government, none of that really matters or is going to be functional if there is no individual self-government. If people cannot control themselves, then how could they control others? So he says, quote, Thus, whether we wish to be well instructed in order that we might know how to conduct and govern ourselves and our own persons and individual characters according to right, reason, and justice, or how to govern our households and families, or how to govern in the civil realm, this law shall supply us with true Christian ethics, politics, and economics, if it be well understood. So that's, that is the usefulness of God's law. Uh, and it can be implied in any area of life. But like I said, with Vare understanding that God's law is applicable to every area of life, he points out that a king or a ruler or a people will never enjoy lasting prosperity or success unless God reigns in all and over all, and unless they are governed by him. So without heart change by the gospel, none of this matters. And he points out even earlier in this chapter that only God has the power to actually um, change men's hearts and make them willing and wanting to obey God's word. A magistrate can't do that. And even a parent can't do that either. So this is how Vare roots his, his arguments, um, understanding first the sovereignty of God, understanding second the nature of man, and understanding third how God works through the gospel and through the word of God. And once you understand how they function together, how they relate to one another, then you can move on to discuss things such as specifically a king or a governor or a magistrate. Now, he goes on in the chapter on what the magistrate is supposed to do. He says, quote, the civil magistrate is ordained solely by God, it is necessary for the preservation of the peace and tranquility of the country, and is the one whom God wills and ordains that all obey, as long as he commands nothing against God. So that is a very important point. Vare recognizes there is no ruler that can claim absolute authority. All authority is delegated authority. It is given by God, who is the source or fountain of all power and all authority. So any authority that a parent or a pastor or a teacher or an elder or a civil magistrate has, has already been given to them by God. That is not of their own authority. It is not self-generated authority. It is from God. And so as a result of that, they are under God's authority, and they are obligated to wield that authority properly. Uh, now, of course, Veray makes it very, very clear, and this is understandable given the fact that he's living in a very tumultuous time during the Reformation with Catholic rulers, Protestant rulers, Muslim rulers, and lots of wars. Uh, he points out that God does eventually cast down the wicked rulers who do not reign according to his word. 
but he also raises up rulers who are hypocrites and who are wicked uh, to be a judgment upon the people. And that even sometimes God removes righteous rulers uh, in order to uh, take away the blessing from a wicked people who are not honoring the Lord. But at the end of the day, the magistrate's purpose is to administer justice as God's avenger. Veret points out that even though you as an individual Christian are not authorized to take revenge upon someone who wrongs you, if someone does commit a crime, you are fully authorized and obligated to report that crime and to pursue justice and allow the civil magistrate to be the one who administers vengeance. So here's what he says. He says, quote, For you do not desire evil upon your enemy, but his amendment and his good. Thus it is not you who has worked vengeance, but God. For when you deliver vengeance to the magistrate, you return it to God, who ordained him to this work and this end. And what you do is not done out of a desire for revenge, but only to deliver yourself from the tyranny of the evildoer. End quote. So, as long as your heart's in the right place, and you're seeking the betterment of society and of your neighbor, and you want the person to repent, you give the act of vengeance over to God. But God is using the civil magistrate to do that. The civil magistrate is God's instrument to achieve vengeance. It's not just that God administers vengeance you know, through natural consequences, natural disasters, or any kind of supernatural intervention. One of the ways in which God gets vengeance is through the use of the civil magistrate. That's kind of the normal means by which it's supposed to happen. It's not necessarily that um, the person, you know, the murderer or the rapist uh, does these things, and then you give it over to God, and you're hoping and praying that God you know, strikes him with a lightning bolt or something like that, um, or, you know, gets into a car accident. Uh, yeah, those things do happen, but the normal means by which God gets vengeance is through the civil magistrate. That's the way that God ordained it to work. God explicitly says that in Romans chapter 13. So now Veray moves on to, okay, well, how do you honor the authority that's over you? especially if that authority is wicked, if the civil magistrate is not obeying. Now, Veray references the fifth commandment and shows that it's, it's more than just honoring your father and mother. Yes, that's, that is the key focus, but it incorporates or includes honoring of any authority, what you might call our civil fathers. And so he asked the question, well, when is the authority doing right and when are they doing things wrong? And he points out that all offices, whether father or mother or governor, are to be ruled by the word of God. And those who never learn to obey God and his word will never be able to rule properly. They will always be given over to their sin. They were given over to sin when they were individuals, and they will be given over to sin when they are ruling over other individuals. Now, of course, he agrees with many of the reformers that uh, we are to honor even the wicked rulers. It doesn't mean that we obey them in everything that we do. We recognize that they are to repent of their sins, and we need to call them to repentance if we are in a position to call magistrates to repentance. Um, but we still honor them 
for who they are. And we recognize that they've been given to us for a reason. And maybe we are being chastised or disciplined or under judgment by God as a people for our for our sins. And like I said before, uh, Veray recognizes that God removes and establishes rulers according to his will. Here's what he says in his section on honoring those in authority over us. He says, quote, Furthermore, as God gives tyrants to the people as rods and scourges of his anger because of their sins, so for the same reason he often removes good and just rulers and magistrates and other righteous persons because the people are so unworthy of having them. We have a very clear example of this in Good King Josiah. But though it may be so, the state ordained by God always remains because of the reasons that we've already stated. So the purpose of the magistrate remains the same, to honor God and to act as God's avenger. But even when the magistrate doesn't do that, we understand that there's a reason why God has given us a poor magistrate. But our yearning should be for a righteous magistrate. And we should repent of our own sins as a people if we don't have that. Not necessarily saying that we're going to get one just because we ask God for it, but it is a blessing to receive a Christian ruler, and it is a curse to be under a wicked ruler. Okay, we've talked about how humans should be governed. We've talked about the purpose of the magistrate. We've talked about how to honor authority. Now, what happens when the magistrate is a Christian? How can a Christian be a magistrate, someone who wields the sword? How is that possible? And so in chapter 7, and his chapter 1, the jurisdictions and callings ordained by God, he talks about how everybody is called to be a Christian. All right? He says this. He says, I must firstly look to my general calling, which I share in common with all believers. Then I must look to my particular calling and seek to equip myself of it as well as I am able. All right? So basically, the point here is, well, you're a Christian, so act like a Christian to everybody. But then what else are you? What particular position or authority has God given you? If you're a father, well, you're going to do things that fathers should do. Um, a person who's not a father should not be getting himself involved in parental duties of people who are not under his care. That's not his business. It's not his calling at that time in life. If a person is um, not a pastor or an elder, he should not involve himself in those areas that are given to pastors and elders. And in fact, Veray points this out. He says, quote, Whoever is a minister and pastor of the church must be the guide of the blind, leading the erring back to the way, and proclaim Jesus Christ to those who are under his charge. If he does not endeavor to do so, he must prepare himself for one of two things. Either he must no longer meddle with being a pastor and must no longer take his place among them, or... He is preparing to give an account of the sheep under his charge to the prince of pastors, who will require at his hands the blood of those who perish because of him. Again, if a man is not called and equipped to be a pastor, then he ought not meddle in the affairs of a pastor. It depends on one's calling. And so he applies that same principle to the calling of the civil magistrate. He says, Inasmuch as I am either a pastor or minister or a magistrate, public official, or have some other charge as a public man, 
or if I have no other office than that of a private individual, I am bound either more or less to do many things which others are not bound to as I am. Okay, so in other words, whatever station you're in, that could add or subtract responsibilities that you have. If you are a father, you have those responsibilities. If you're a business owner, you have those responsibilities. If you're just an individual citizen, you have a little bit less responsibilities. And if you are a civil magistrate or a governor or a king, you have those responsibilities. And he makes it clear that a private man uh, or a pastor is not authorized to bear the sword. That has been given to the magistrate. And the magistrate is obligated to wield the sword or to utilize coercion to administer the law righteously. Okay, now if if the magistrate fails to do his duty, the pastor might condemn that uh, from the pulpit or from talking to the magistrate, but the pastor cannot bear the sword himself. And so pastors and ministers ought to speak to civil magistrates. Uh, there should be communication back and forth between them. And this is what Veret says about that. He says, quote, his office, this is the magistrate, his office is also to execute what is particularly given to his charge according to the word. If the magistrate does not do this, the minister fulfills his duty when he condemns by the word of God what it condemns, and when he points out and daily teaches both by word and deed to every man what he must do, and when he has fulfilled his charge as far as the discipline of the church extends. Okay, so civil magistrate has his job, pastor has his job. All right. He goes on to say, For he who gives ministers the knowledge and understanding of the scriptures also gives them the grace to know how to make it understandable to the people whom God has given them. All right. Well, that's their job. Ministers have a job of communicating truth to all the people. And that includes any people who have authority within their church, like, like a police officer or a judge or a parent or a civil magistrate. But Varey points out that if ministers don't do the job, that they're called to do, namely speaking and teaching, then God will judge them for it. He says this, he says, Just as ministers are not bound to do what pertains to rulers and magistrates, so on the other hand, if they do not sound the word and do not speak to the rulers and magistrates with all frankness according to their calling, they will be guilty of grave guilt. For their office requires them to call the rulers and magistrates to do their duty according to the law of God. Again, Veret is very clear on this, that everyone has a job and a role to play in society, all right? Parents are obligated to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if they're not doing that, they're sinning. Pastors and elders have an obligation to teach and disciple everyone under their care, regardless of what station that person is in, and to proclaim the gospel to all people under heaven, including kings and how to apply that gospel, how to live out your life according to that gospel. And magistrates are obligated to pass righteous laws and to wield the sword for the honor of God to be God's avenger against evil. Now, of course, when things don't work out, we got some problems. Um, and each group is not to overstep their bounds, but to stay faithful where they're at and to trust God with the rest. But Ultimately, these discussions as Christians today about the civil magistrate, it does come down to, to that question. What is the purpose of a civil magistrate? What should they be doing? Now, most of us as Christians would agree they should do good things and not bad things. 
I think where we disagree is, well, what is good? What does God say is good? Should the civil magistrate pass laws against overeating or against drinking soda or against, you know, watching certain movies or listening to certain music? Should the government run schools? Those are how to apply God's word, how to understand the role that each side has. And that's probably where we disagree the most among the various groups of of Christians. But I would hope that we all agree that the civil magistrate needs to be under the word of God and is obligated to pass laws in accordance with God's word. And the question that we have to answer and that we have to work through now is how does God's word apply to a particular topic or situation? And that's going to require some work, but it's not impossible. Anyways, I hope that this short episode on Pierre Verey was helpful to you. We will look at other historical documents and, and persons in future episodes, but I just found this one to be particularly applicable from 500 years ago. We're having the same conversations today, and uh, we need to have those same conversations in the future. So if you found this episode useful or helpful, please give it the thumbs up, stars, reviews, and share it with friends, coworkers, and family members. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or other topics that you'd like me to address, please email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com or go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, look for Governed by God, and you can uh, contact me there. And with that said, thank you for listening. And until next time, take care and God bless.